Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. I am your host, Kristen Kibblehouse, and today we have Gills Club scientist, Dr. Claire Preble. Claire is a senior scientist at the Marine Megafauna Foundation, where her research interests focus on whale sharks and their biochemical ecology. Claire uses the principle of biochemistry to work where they go and what their diets are really like. Even though the whale shark is the largest shark in our oceans, there are so many things to be discovered about this species. So today we are going to learn about what makes their eyes so special, how deep that scientists think that they swim with our current technologies that we have, and many other fun facts along the way, and some things that I didn't even know before I interviewed Claire. So let's dive into our interview with Dr. Claire Preble. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Gills Talk interview. Today, we have Gills Club scientist, Dr. Claire Preble. So welcome all the way from the UK today. I know, I know. It's actually a bit strange. I normally uh, I normally live in Mozambique, but I'm back home visiting family and friends at the moment. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure. Well, thank you for taking time out, out of visiting family and friends to be able to do this interview for us today. So even from the UK or in Mozambique, a very long way away for us to have, <laughs> have the interview. Actually, today drops our interview with Dr. Cindy Trebizio, who she lives in Alaska. So she had had the, the medal of longest interview range. So now you might have it for now yes. until we have, we have a couple <laughs> interviews coming out of Australia. So right now though, you hold the longest range for right, a very temporary record, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> So to kick it off, um, if you want to explain to people what your science background is and what you do. Um, hi, everybody. So I study whale sharks, mostly. That is my background. I did all of my studies in the, U- in the UK, mostly. I did a broad range of, I did a master's, uh, master's degree and I did a PhD as well. I studied whale sharks for my PhD, as you can imagine. I'm mostly based, like I said earlier, I'm mostly based in Mozambique, which is in Southern Africa. And quite a lot of my field work takes place there or in surrounding countries, like we do a lot of work in Tanzania. I'm actually based at or with um, an NGO called the Marine Megafauna Foundation. And I've been working with them for, oh, best part of a decade now. Wow. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I guess within the sphere of whale sharks, my speciality, I suppose, is in biochemistry. don't worry, I'm not going to go into any terrifying details about that. But I guess the way that I could describe it most easily is I, I sort of use these biochemical techniques to, the, the concept really is you are what you eat or you are where you eat, really. So we try and use that kind of concept and we analyze the tissues of whale sharks and try and find out what they've been doing and where they've been going and what they've been eating uh, before we before we see them in the water so that's that's kind of that's kind of what what I do uh, more or less the abridged version (laughs) so so interesting that you can figure out all this by just taking a tissue sample of a whale shark so many things I know. Well, yeah, obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that. I definitely wish this was a straight line kind of uh, kind of thing, but as with most research, it's uh, it's definitely not. But yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's such a good. Uh, it's a really good. We, well, I guess we describe it as like a good sort of complementary set of techniques that we use together with you know other researchers who specialize more in sort of electronic 
electronic tagging, like satellite tagging of animals and sort of sightings records and things like that. And we tend to sort of use uh, lots of different tools and figure out little bits of information. And then the idea is that we puzzle them all together and then hopefully we start building up a little bit more of a recognizable picture about uh, what whale sharks what whale sharks do and where they go so i'd say this the things i do are yeah one piece of a very big and mysterious puzzle that is whale shark ecology (laughs) (laughs) so you say you know it's one big piece one big mysterious puzzle and i'm going to focus on the big here whale shark if people (laughs) are not listening they are the largest fish in our ocean so you know, you would think working with the largest fish, they would be able, you'd be able to know more about them because they're so large. You're able to see them. You're able to find them, but it's looking like that might not be quite the case. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's actually crazy. Like you say, they are the biggest, they're the biggest fish we have in the world. And actually you can even look back at fossil records and whale sharks we think are probably bigger than the very well-known megalodons. If you look at that, if you look at fossil records, so they may actually be, I'm not, don't take my word for it, but I'm not a paleontologist, but they may actually be the sort of the largest ever fish that has ever lived, which is really cool. And you think being so big, they'd be really easy to find and therefore really easy to figure out what they're doing and where they're going. But surprisingly, surprisingly quite difficult. They are still very mysterious and confusing animals. And really only, um, I I guess we call it sort of the the modern research into whale sharks only really started in the 1980s. and, And before that, it was just sort of really kind of sporadic uh, sightings records and one or two uh, sort of notes from strandings and things. So I guess in, you know, I guess in sort of the time scale of scientific research, we've only been kind of looking at them properly for a very short amount of time. Yeah, despite being very large, they're, they're very good at, at hiding from us. <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of things that we don't know about them. For sure. I, I will be employed for a considerable amount of time by the way things are going. <laughs> That's a good way for a job security. Find a shark that there's not a lot to know about yet. So we can figure it all about that one species. So when you are trying to take a, a tissue sample from them, you know, are we, are you like diving beside them? Like how, how does that work with such a large fish? Yeah, so it kind of depends like where in the world you're working. So I'm going to speak from my experience, which is mostly in Mozambique and Tanzania. And I think uh, if if you guys have ever seen a whale shark before, if you know a little bit about them, I think most of what you'll know is, you know, when when you see whale sharks quite, quite near sort of coastal areas, I know there's a lot of places in the world where you can go and see whale sharks. You kind of jump off a boat and go snorkeling with them. And it's the same for us. We go to the same, we call them sort of constellations or these feeding aggregation sites. And we, we do the same thing as a tourist do really. We go find them at these specific places at specific times of year. We jump in the water with them. And most of it is done snorkeling or, or free diving. Mm-hmm. So most of my work, in fact, pretty much all of my work, I've been doing free diving. So with the, t- with the tissue sampling, we, we sort of find the animals. We jump in the water really quietly because uh, they are very, they surprisingly can hear you get in the water. And we, we swim beside them and we use just a little biopsy tip and take a, take a little piece of their skin from just by their dorsal fin. Whale sharks have also, as well as being, there's a lot of uh, hyperbole involved in whale sharks. They also have some of the thickest skin in the animal kingdom. Their skin can be up to sort of 30 centimeters thick in certain parts of their body, which is more than elephants and rhinos, which is uh, quite weird to get your head around. 
but uh, we just take a small piece of their skin and that's the that's what we do we'll take that back to the lab and do um our analysis on that interesting that's so i mean i've I've only seen whale sharks at the Georgia Aquarium here <laughs> in the U.S. So for me, like to even think about being able to dive with them out in the wild is just something I think that would be so humbling because we're so much smaller than them <laughs> for one. But uh, what a cool experience yeah. to be able to to be able to do that, to be able then to further your research. So when looking at whale sharks and your research, has this always been what you've wanted to do? Or has this been like a progression within the last, because you said it's been almost 10, 10 years since you've been with Marine Megafauna. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'd like to tell you a beautiful Disney story of how I've been <laughs> wanting to do this since I was like two years old. But uh, the, the honest truth is it, it mostly happened a lot, a lot of happy accidents along the way. I mean, I've always been interested in science and specifically biology and ecology. And quite a lot of the sort of education I've had up till now has been along those lines. But even when I left my master's degree, I, I wasn't sort of studying sharks specifically. I wasn't even studying marine biology specifically. I kept it very, very broad. Um, at that point, I also had like a very uh, strong interest in sort of terrestrial animals in Southern Africa as well. So I didn't really know which way it was going to go. But I, I kind of found I found uh, the organization I work for now, the Marine Megafauna Foundation. I kind of found them by accident. And I, I just started as a research assistant, actually helping out one of my colleagues, um, Dr. Chris Rona, with, with his PhD at the time. And then I just decided I, I really liked, you know, I really liked being in Mozambique. I loved my colleagues. They're so great to work with. Um, I decided whale sharks were beautiful and weird. And I kind of liked to stick with that and see, see what I could find out about them. And so just things just kind of um, rolled on from there, really. And like it, like you say, it's been a, it's been a decade now, and there's still there's still plenty of work to be done. So uh, yeah, I yeah, totally by accident, but yeah, going to stick with it for now. Well, it sounds like a great thing to stick with. I mean, you have whale sharks. You're living in South Africa. What an amazing life to live, right? I mean, I think so at least. But going back to looking at the biochemistry of things, I know you said you're not going to go into detail, but I like to go a little bit into detail about it because I mean, I think it sounds interesting and I hope the listeners right now, you think it sounds in interesting as well, but then like, what is the process of going into that? If you can, if it is some way you can make it simplized. Sure. Well, if you're going to press me, I sorry, I like I said, I wrote a whole PhD on this, so I, I could talk for <laughs> hours, <laughs> but I'll try and keep it brief. Yeah. So there's two there's two different types, two, mostly two different types that I do. Uh, one of them is called uh, stable isotope analysis, and um, I guess the the background behind this and why it works is that you. I don't know if everybody remembers from like school chemistry that you have a periodic table which is full of um, full of elements and some of them have slightly different weights so you'll have you know for example carbon which is an which is an element that I use frequently for this kind of work you know on the periodic table it's carbon and its weight is 12 but also in the world exists a carbon 13 which is slightly heavier than carbon 12 and the ratio of these two carbons it changes it changes depending on where you are in the world and which environment you're living in and particularly pertaining to the marine environments, like so things like how, how deep you are in the ocean. And so what we can do is match up the ratios of these elements, which we find in the tissues of the whale shark or any consumer that you're interested in. 
and we can kind of match it up with you know things we think they might be eating or areas and habitats they might be eating in and we can see how similar they are to each other and that gives us an idea of what, what the likelihood is that they're eating certain types of prey or what the likelihood is that you know they're spending their time in certain areas like are they spending a lot of time really really near the coast you know around coral reefs or are they spending like a huge amount of time in the open ocean or in really really deep deep habitats in the open ocean so yeah that's the kind of you are where you eat I guess part of it and a little bit you are what you eat there's also another type the second type which is called fatty acid analysis and this is it's a little bit more specific to what you're eating and it's the same it's the same kind of concept as well like sort of fatty acids which are you know lipids which are fats which everybody has in in their cells in their body and there are different lots and lots of different types lots and lots of different types <laughs> a bit more complicated than the isotope analysis <laughs> um but it's the same like each each sort of each animal and each species will have a certain sort of profile like i guess a fat fingerprint that they have which you know it's it's a summary of everything they've been eating in their life and it's what makes up their body and so we can do the same kind of thing where we look at the fatty acid profile of the whale sharks and then we can say like okay well what are the plankton in that area like and maybe some of the smaller fishes and what are the other sharks eating in that area and then you can build up this picture of you know who's eating who and how much of each thing are the whale sharks eating and you know do they have a similar diet to you know whales in the area or do they have a similar diet to predatory sharks in the area and you put all these things together to just build up a bit of a bit of a retrospective picture of like what's what's happening in the environment that they're that they're in and uh, yeah hopefully we get a bit more information about how they're spending their time when we like can't see them so that's that's the theory that's, I hope that was I hope that was brief enough that's kind of the theory yes. behind what what how it works really <laughs> so interesting it's this is really reminding me of gosh so for listeners that have been here since day one you might remember when we interviewed Lisa Hoops she is she calls herself the fishtritionist <laughs> and yeah, she does a no, lot of this no it's fine I was just going to jot in and say me and Lisa have had discussions about about this with each other because you're right our, our work does overlap significantly because she looks after the the sharks in Georgia as well so we've mm -hmm. yeah we've had many discussions about this as well yeah so I think it like so just showing that like science even though like someone is literally across the world doing work and how it is working with another scientist here in the U.S. so that's so cool being able to see just how it all can connect in one way. So you, yeah. when you're looking at showing like, you know, you are what you eat and things like that. So we know that whale sharks are filter feeders. And so for people that do not know what a filter feeder is, they are, they eat teeny tiny organisms in our oceans. And so then looking at that, then can you get really more in depth of then like what specifically then they are eating through that if it's plankton or zooplankton and things like that? So I, I'm going to I'm going to quote my uh, PhD supervisor here, uh, and he says that uh, sort of isotope ecology is is what we call bucket chemistry, i.e. you know it's it's not specific. It, you just all shove it in a bucket and swirl it around and see what you get. So as 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 amazing as and technical as I've made it sound, compared to other techniques, it's quite a sort of it's quite a broad scale technique. Like we can't go down to you know finding out exactly what different species of zooplankton they might be eating. But this is where the, you know, it's said that we, we sort of 
put different pieces of the puzzle together to figure things out. So from other people's work, um, including my colleague, Chris Rona, he's done sort of stomach content analysis where you can actually physically see things that they've been eating. And then we can sometimes sort of refer back to that with the results that we've got. So I would say my work is a little bit more, a little bit more general, okay. a, little bit, a little bit larger scale. I think we would probably separate it down to are they eating a lot of zooplankton like on shore or are they eating, you know, deep sea fishes? We can put it into sort of slightly broader groups like that. But I, I mean, that's still pretty exciting. Um, we've had some, you know, we've had some indications that they are actually probably eating a lot more sort of at depth. We know that they're, again, hyperbole again, they're like the, the one of the sort of deepest recorded diving fish as well in the world at the moment. We know they can dive to at least 1,900 meters. And we kind of know that they go a bit deeper than that, but we've got to build the equipment that doesn't get crushed to, to record it deeper at the moment. <laughs> I think everybody's working on that, but, but it, yeah, it is quite cool. So we think they're probably feeding a lot more often in these sort of deep sea areas on these sort of deep sea fishes than we may have previously thought, because as you know, and I think when everybody thinks of whale sharks, they think of them being at the surface, feeding on plankton in the top like five or 10 meters. And that's how we know them. And uh, it seems that they do have this secret other life and they are spending a lot more time in deep, deep waters than we may have otherwise figured out from just, you know, observing them really near these coastal, coastal areas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's, uh, I say, I say it's broad bucket chemistry, but it's also, it's also quite exciting and it does, it does have its uses as well. Mm -hmm. How, ex that is exciting. I mean, how interesting. I never knew that the whale shark swam that deep, which so learning something new here today, being able to talk to you. So would that be like your favorite discovery aha moment with this? Or is there something else that even like is cooler than that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I have to say some of the coolest stuff, and I don't know whether this is just a general scientist thing, is usually other people's discoveries because you haven't had to work so hard for it. But uh, oh, they're, they're, there's so many amazing and weird things about whale sharks. Like we've already discussed, you know, they're the biggest fish in the ocean. They're the deepest diving fish in the open. In the, in the ocean i think recently some of our colleagues who work in japan they figured out that whale sharks have sort of dermal denticles i think you guys might have discussed dermal denticles on previous podcasts mm -hmm. they're these sort of tooth-like projections that are usually on the shark skin which uh, i'd protect them from parasites but they also you know make the shark skin very hydrodynamic but whale sharks have dermal denticles on their actual eyeballs i mean they have dermal denticles on their eyeballs which is really really cool um, a lot of sharks to protect their eyes, they have those what they're called nictating membranes. So like kind of like cats and lizards have where they have a separate mm -hmm. set of uh, eyelids that protect their eyes when, you know, they think they're going to get hurt or attacked. And uh, whale sharks just have denticles all over their eyes. So they've got teeth on their eyeballs. I mean, we only found that out very recently. <laughs> and it seems like almost every new thing we find out about whale sharks is like weird and amazing. And it just leads to like 700 other questions about why they are the way they are. I, I don't know, I'm very biased, but I think, I think they're probably the weirdest and most mysterious of sharks at this point. De definitely a biased opinion. <laughs> but oh, absolutely. I mean, to know that they have dermal denticles on their eyes, whoa especially just because like if anyone has seen a photo of a whale shark and they look at their eyes some I do a presentation for smaller youth yeah smaller younger <laughs> youth in school and we do we talk about like the largest shark and the smallest shark and when we show them the photo of the whale shark they always ask me where are their eyes because they they're so much smaller compared to the rest of their body so it's so interesting that like these like tinier eyes have 
dermal denticles all over them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 interesting as well because apart from you know finding out that they have denticles on their eyes, it 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 it's it, it kind of lets us know that. I mean, previously, again, like you said, because their eyes are so much smaller in proportion to the rest of their body, we've always assumed that their eyesight has been really not a very big part of, you know, their lives. It's not, you know, we don't think it's important in how they find their food. We think that maybe their olfactory senses, how they like smell or taste the water is definitely more important. But we, we now know that, you know, if they've you know, evolved the, you know, such a, an intense defense mechanism or protective mechanism for their eyes, then we're now thinking, well, actually, maybe these are a very important part of their lifestyle. And maybe we'd really underestimated the, yeah, the importance of sight in how they, you know, how they live their lives. So now we, you know, everything we find out about them, we have to sort of slightly rethink exactly how we perceive these animals. It's uh, really, it's really cool. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think that's just something with like shark senses in general, right? That like, we know that they have these six senses and with each species, like each sense is stronger or weakened, depending on what, you know, they need it for. And that's just something that has always been in interested in me with sharks and how they use their senses in general. But as you are kind of going through this, you know, um, the Marine Megafauna Foundation, you know, in the name Marine Megafauna working with larger animals so yes you're working with the whale shark but then do you ever then collaborate with any other large marine megafauna or are you just strictly like the whale shark gal <laughs> well yeah it's funny I mean uh, uh, there's kind of two questions like the, the organization so marine megafauna foundation I guess the two main flagship species that we work with are whale sharks and also manta rays and that includes the two uh slash three upcoming species <laughs> that of manta rays that we have and then but we do that there, there's a a project running in Mozambique as well in the Basarutu seascape which has actually now been just named a uh, a new hope spot thank you Sylvia Earl which is really amazing and there's a lot of really uh, exciting and very data deficient and endangered um, sort of smaller sort of smaller rays ray species where we live as well and some wedge fish around where we are so we do we do uh, focus on slightly so we have particularly started to branch out now that our organization's a little bit bigger than it was 10 years ago we're sort of branching out at other species my my colleagues also have published quite a few papers now on uh, some billfish species in in Kenya and I'm sort of just about to start heading up a project on black marlin in Mozambique as well so I guess the, the umbrella is sort of um, megafauna, it's in the name, sort of just sort of some of the larger species. We do tend to focus on elasmobranchs because that's our speciality, but, but also we, as we're regional spe specialists in Mozambique and sort of Southern Africa as well, we do, we do get involved in a few different projects. And we're, I'd like to say we're a very collaborative group of people. We do dip our toes and we do help out other people on other projects as well quite a lot. So it is quite fun. It's quite fun to, to keep your, keep your work diverse as well. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps it exciting, right? Be able to work with all exactly. these incredible different species. So is that something maybe you didn't expect as you were kind of going through your science journey that you'd be able to kind of dip your toes into all these different species? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I, did, I did, I obviously didn't have, as I've explained, didn't really have much of a plan when I started out and everything, but it is great. And because we, like I said, we work in the region together. So just because I'm, you know, focusing on like maybe the next couple of years, I'm focusing on marlin, you know, my colleagues will be focusing on wedge fish. And we've also got a PhD student who's doing a bull shark project as well in the region. And, you know, particularly when, when it's field work, we're all quite happy to volunteer to go and help other people out with the, the, the fun field work stuff as well. So 
yeah, it is great. I didn't really envision, envisage when I started that I would be, first, I didn't envisage that I'd be so focused on one species, but equally, I didn't realize that I would have the opportunity to do so many uh, other projects at the same time as well. So it's, yeah, it's really great. I do, I do feel quite lucky. I mean, yeah, hasn't been so much field work the last two years, for obvious reasons. So I'm, I'm really, uh, really keen to get back in the water as things start opening up. I mean, who doesn't look forward to field work, right? Like that is, that is like the highlight. I mean, yes, like, one, like, well, I should say, I know for us, like Megan Winton, she's always, she loves her like winter, like data hole. Cause she could just, she's just herself in a room and she just like plugs and chugs away. And she loves that season, but she also loves being out on the boat as well. So yeah, but just being out there to see them while you're studying, it's always the best, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't have one without the other, unfortunately. Uh, you have to do both. You have to do both parts of the job. And I guess, yeah, da- data wrangling, uh, some people prefer it more than others, for sure. But it is it is actually where all the, the truth comes out of all of your work. I think uh, humans are very, I think we're all a bit biased and humans have a very specific idea of what's happening in the ocean when they're out there. And then you come back and look at the data and sometimes it tells you something completely different. So yeah, I, I, I have, I think I'd probably pick field work. Uh, I, data, <laughs> wrang, data wrangling is the harder part of the job for me, but it is, yeah, it is, I guess the point of it all when you come out the other end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and then the satisfaction of coming out on the other end as well, right. Being able to like exactly. complete a project and be able to see it from the start to the end, like that's also great too. So to finish out our interview today, I would love to hear then what is advice that you would give to your younger self starting out in all of this? I think maybe two things kind of come to mind. One is that I would say uh, persistence is probably a very, very close friend of yours. Uh, When you start out in this this industry, in this career, it can be um, particularly if you're doing a PhD, it can be very, very up and down, very emotional roller coaster. And even people, if they're not going down the academic route, if they're just trying to find a job in this industry, it, it can be hard work. But I think persistence, really, just carrying on, being sure that you want to do this and, and keep going. That's pretty much how I got most of my my breaks in, in in this job as well. And I think specifically related to me, I would probably tell myself to enjoy it a bit more. I think when I was starting out, I took it a little bit too seriously. And I was trying to impress everybody and I didn't really take, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy what I was doing while I was doing it as much as I should have. So I would say it particularly like we're saying, I haven't been able to do much field work lately. And, you know, at the beginning, that was all I was doing. I was, you know, I, d- I didn't think I took enough time to enjoy it. So I would say to myself, yeah, persistence is a good thing and uh, definitely enjoy things when they're happening. Yes. Well, I think that is great advice. So thank you so much for sharing that. So before I do let you go, um, your social media or Marine Megafauna's social media so people can follow up with your work and as well as the nonprofits work too. Yeah, so uh, me personally, well, as well as being a researcher, I'm I'm also an underwater photographer as well and a terrestrial photographer as well. So I'm mostly uh, on social media. I think you, I'm most active on Instagram, um, which is just my name. It's Claire Preble uh, at IG or whatever it is. I just, I'm really, really old. And then for the Marine Megafauna Foundation, that we have a, a website, which is just marinemegafauna.org. But you, you can also... Um, if you want to, you can also sign up to be, you know, sent newsletters and things like that. If you don't want to check on the website every day, there, there is the ability to sign up um, on the website as well. So you get sent updates from us. So I think those would be the two main ways to keep up to date with what we're doing. 
and what I'm doing as well. Awesome. So yeah, so for anyone, go check out Claire's social media. I was stalking it before your interview. <laughs> and your photos are amazing. So yes, go check thank out you. Claire. You're welcome. And go check out. So I want to say thank you so much for coming on today and being able for us to learn a little more about you and your work and all about the whale shark work that's coming up. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And as always, remember to stay curious, stay inspired, and always learn. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, everyone.